0: Yes. When I heard about that, I said to my team, we need to follow his lead.
1: Who is he? And what is his lead? And who is she? All of those questions and more answered on today's well, broadcast. I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Oh, hi. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ. Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Halenville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. Hope our friends up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, are doing okay today. Also streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. And your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me, from bradblog.com, your mileage may vary. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. We will begin with your uh, COVID factoid of the day, Desi Doyen. Oh, goody. Uh, And, and you know, that can be nothing but good news coming Mm. the the CDC's real world data finds unvaccinated people 14 times more likely to die and 11 times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19 than those who are fully vaccinated. 14 times more likely to die. Now, in this context, as I understand CDC Director Rochelle Walensky's explanation of these numbers, fully vaccinated uh, means uh, two shots of an mRNA vaccine, which means the rate of unvaccinated people getting sick and being hospitalized is even higher than 14 and 11 times uh, than those with Booster shots. So that means in in as pretty clear terms as I can possibly state it, get boosted. I cannot say it enough, not because I want to, uh, but because actual emerging data and a lot of it, frankly, from all over the world, uh, amid the alarming rise and very quick spread of Omicron suggests there is a huge difference in your defense against the disease if you got your immune system boosted with a third shot. Never mind J&J, Johnson & Johnson shots just before going on air. Uh, the FDA, it looks like, has said um, don't take J&J shots anymore because of a rare but serious side effect. Uh, that they have found after reviewing safety data concerning a potentially fatal blood clotting disaster. So the CDC now is recommending Pfizer or Moderna COVID-19 vaccines over Johnson & Johnson. So I I don't want to spend too much time on this today because I've got some other stuff I want to get to as well. And the data here on all of this. Concerning Omicron has some gray areas still, quite a few, uh, and the facts that we do know are actually somewhat grim. But I think you need to know about it, especially as we head into the holidays, so that you can plan accordingly. So I sort of feel responsible to share it with you, even if I actually don't want to. (laughs) How's that?
2: Well, you know, yes, we do try to be your early warning system, so...
1: As I have noted uh, on this program before, TPM, uh, Talking Point Memos, uh, Joe uh, Josh Marshall <laughs> has been doing some excellent heavy lifting, frankly, for all of us in tracking very closely new studies and new data as uh, they become available and often most helpfully. Uh, He tracks the conversations among virologists and epidemiological experts who are discussing those data and those studies and deciphering what those data and those studies mean and what can and should be done about them. Unfortunately, much of Josh's coverage is behind a paywall at TalkingPointsMemo.com. Though when I post links to his coverage, I try to use uh, uh, prepaid links that I I get access to as a paying member, which, by the way, is just one of the many things that you make possible when you support this program. So thank you as I try to make those donations pay off to you. Uh, This week, one of Josh's pieces, Tracking the Rise of Omicron, had a phrase in it that frankly has been ringing in my head. Pretty much consistently and constantly since I read it a day or two ago, but I haven't had a moment to share it with you until now. Josh writes in a piece headlined "Waiting for Omicron." The more studies we see, the more they reinforce each other. Very limited protection against infection by the uh, infection from the Omicron variant with a two-dose mRNA regime though presumably still substantial protection against severe illness and death. Those data he and others have been noting are still sort of best guesses at this point, given that one of Omicron's big advantages is that it's very effective at breaking through two doses of vaccine. And since so many who are uh, getting infected are actually also vaccinated to that level, much of the data that they have to go on is infection among people who are Already either vaccinated to some extent or have natural antibodies after already having been infected earlier, he says. But a booster appears to get up towards the levels of protection against Omicron infection that two doses had provided against Delta. Now, the bad news, he writes Yes, that previous part was the good news section. (laughs) And, And here's the phrase. Here's the warning that has been ringing in my head since I read it. Josh writes, a lot of people are about to get sick. The growth numbers, he says, out of Europe and South Africa are so rapid, they're hard for me to make sense of. It seems like we're talking about waves of infection that will dwarf all the earlier waves in the number of infections. Josh notes, I'm not going to repeat some of the estimates I've seen because I'm having a hard time making sense of what is hyperbole and what is not, what are true apples to apples comparisons with earlier waves. But it really seems like late December through January will be explosive in terms of numbers of infections. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Now, I'm not telling you this to frighten you, but I do want to make you aware of it if you are not already. This this could uh, you know, be about to get very bad again. So I would like you to plan accordingly, whatever that may mean for you. Josh goes on to explain it's important to say that the cases this wave produces will, on average, be more mild because the overwhelming majority of people have had some exposure to covid either by infection or vaccination or both. Some now argue that the link between infections and severe disease has been broken sufficiently, that infections are actually a misleading metric. Well, maybe. But even if the percentage of severe cases turns out to be much lower, a sufficiently large wave will still produce severe disease in absolute numbers that will overwhelm hospitals. Now, that is one of the reasons why I have been uh, loath to put too much emphasis of late on the reports that Omicron appears to be producing milder symptoms. Frankly, there are just too many caveats currently attached to that factoid that, you know, at least with the limited data that we have right now, might make that a very misleading data point.
2: Yeah. So basically, if I understand this correctly, what Josh is saying, it is an absolute numbers game now. Yeah. And that uh, even if it's milder disease, there will be enough sufficient numbers of people who will get severe disease and require hospitalization that they will overwhelm already overwhelmed hospitals. Yeah. And the
1: uh, you know, the idea that uh, I think a lot of people are hearing, oh, Omicron, it's, uh, you know, not severe, uh, mostly mild symptoms as if that means we don't have to worry about it. The fact is, we do have to worry Absolutely.
2: about it. Absolutely. I mean, oh, the, one more point yeah. on that. Even if you get a so-called mild version, that means you don't get hospitalized. It can still kick your ass, and it can still give you long COVID.
1: Over at New York Intelligencer today, headline in an article headlined, Omicron is about to overwhelm us. The new COVID variant has all the makings of a massive wave. Their science writer, David Wallace Wells, notes for all their limitations, the models right now are flashing bright red over the course of the pandemic. He writes again and again, projections based on simplistic extrapolations of current trends have missed the mark when the trajectories turned. Sometimes this has been for the good, with dire warnings looking excessive after waves peaked and declined well before a full penetration of the population. Sometimes, he notes, unfortunately, the turn has been in the other direction. But right now, we don't need models to tell us that the pandemic is taking a bad turn. And we won't need to wait to see the projections validated either. The speed of spread with Omicron is so fast that when it comes to case growth, at least, the warnings are being validated already. The largest study to date on early South Africa uh, African data found that overall those with Omicron were experiencing 29% less severe disease than those who got sick in the country's first pandemic wave. Other independent assessments have yielded lower, which is to say more encouraging estimates. Perhaps Omicron severity is lower by two-thirds, perhaps even less. He notes, but a strain that is one-third as deadly and three times as catching, Lands you pretty quickly in the same spot, death-wise. And a strain that is 70% as deadly, but five times as catching, lands you somewhere a lot worse. That is the logic of some UK modelling going on right now, suggesting that a best case uh, for that country was a level of hospitalisation. The best case was half as uh, hospitalisation, half as high as last winter's brutal surge and a worse case for one twice as high. Pick your planning here, I guess, as uh, Omicron, all of these studies seem to show that where it does show up, it has been doubling pretty much each day, day over day. Uh, even those pushing back against Omicron fatalism, writes Wallace Wells, like uh, three public health experts from Duke, Harvard, and University of Cape Town in South Africa writing yesterday at Time magazine in an essay headlined Let's Not Be Fatalistic About Omicron. We know how to fight it. Well, they have only the same familiar public health prescriptions to offer. More vaccination and more boosters, more testing and more rapid testing, more mask wearing and hand washing and social distancing. Even in the best case scenario, In which Omicron causes a mild illness, the repercussions could be huge, the authors of the time essay acknowledge. And remember, these are folks saying, let's not freak out about this. We know how to handle it. We have tools. We know how to fight it. But they note the repercussions could be huge. Imagine, they write, for example, that the entire world caught a cold at the same time. There would be a rise in deaths among older, vulnerable people, such as those in nursing homes, and the mass absences from work would have major societal consequences. Even if only a small percentage of people get ill or die, a small percentage of a very large number would still be a large number, they warn. And in many nations, including the U.S., there is no slack at all in the health system to deal with another surge in COVID-19 hospitalizations. Hospitals, they write, are already at capacity dealing not just with COVID-19 cases and deaths from Delta, uh, which is also rising in the U.S. by about 50 percent over the past several weeks, with deaths now topping 1,700 a day, But with uh, these hospitals are also trying to catch up on a backlog of surgeries and other treatments delayed or deferred by the pandemic. And those are the people saying, don't worry, don't worry too much about this. We know how to handle it. They're saying, yeah, be worried. In short, if in fact a lot of people are about to get sick, as Josh Marshall writes, as a lot of experts seem to be warning right now, all at the same time, the warning lights are all flashing red about the next two weeks to four weeks at least. If in fact that is true, our healthcare system could be in very big trouble in a very short time yet again in the upcoming weeks. It is not a good time to be one of those sick people. And if there is any way to help it, if there is any action that you can take to try and avoid it, please do so. Back to uh, Josh Marshall with an update last night on this, again behind the paywall at TPM, but I will post a free link to it uh, when I uh, post Today's show at bradblog.com later tonight. He writes, I continue to read up on the progress of Omicron in countries where the Omicron wave is further advanced. South Africa and then a group of countries in Western Europe. The rate of growth is simply explosive, he says. There is no other way to put it. The CDC released some data yesterday suggesting that Omicron currently accounts for just under 3% of U.S. cases right now. So the surge that is already underway here is mostly not Omicron, at least not yet, he says. But we should expect a very, very large wave of infections in the coming weeks. The pace and scope of the surge looks like uh, looks likely to be something like the original one in the spring of 2020. He notes that doesn't mean it will be as bad. The vast majority of the people in the US now have some immune experience with COVID either through infection or vaccination. As a population, we're much more prepared now, but even with a potentially milder strain and vaccine protection, that many people getting sick will la- that, that many people getting sick will land a lot of people in the hospital and end a lot of lives. Just yesterday, he notes, in advance of this surge, again, in advance of the Omicron surge, 1,732 people in the U.S. died of COVID. And now back to his conclusion of uh, his earlier a lot of people are about to get sick piece. Josh ends it this way. The one piece of advice remains the same. Get a booster. It's not a marginal difference, he says. It's a big one. I would also seriously consider limiting obvious vectors of exposure, indoor activities in large groups, eating indoors, large crowds indoors or out. He says we all have our own levels of risk aversion and we can't hide forever. But you should assume that your risk of being exposed to covid is about to go up a lot. So plan accordingly, he advises. So, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, well, I was I hate leading with a story like that. I well, hate covering a story like that. But I do feel like, you know, the the news about Omicron being, oh, it's less severe, milder symptoms has sort of overtaken the much bigger story, which is that it appears to be incredibly transmissible. And once it takes hold, it begins to grow exponentially day after day after day. And even if it is more mild for the bulk of the people, it is going to be very deadly for a lot of the people. And it is going to be uh, crushing on once again on the U.S. health health system. Now, as. David Wallace Well said. You know, sometimes these predictions, these models, do not come to pass. Things get, things Mm -hmm. are 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 not nearly as bad as as you know scientists are warning. But I think it's wise here to um, plan on the side of the worst case scenario, particularly when it's easy enough these days. If you haven't been vaccinated, for God's sakes, get vaccinated. If you haven't been boosted, for God's sakes now's the time.
2: It's a great time to do that. Yes. And the thing is about uncertainty, uncertainty cuts both ways. And it makes sense to me to plan for the uh, raised risk for everyone, as Josh Marshall posits there. And and one thing about when he says a lot of people are about to get very sick, yeah, they just don't know it yet. Yeah, And there's a way that you can help prevent that protect your community, protect your family, protect the families of every person you come into contact with. Don't be a vector.
1: Protect yourself. Protect well, yourself. Too, yes.
2: But, you know, a lot uh, of people will don't want to harm other people. And so, you know, they may decide that the risk to themselves is not that great. But if you consider the risk that you are creating for other people, if you're somebody who doesn't like to hurt other people, go get vaccinated.
1: Uh, and again, going back to that COVID factoid of the day that I started with. Unvaccinated people right now are 14 times more likely to die uh, than those who are vaccinated. Other other than that, you know, be careful of those vaccines. They could be harmful <laughs> in some fashion. Good lord. Okay, let's take a quick break here. We will come back with something much brighter. <laughs> the uh, the state of the stolen and packed US Supreme Court. <laughs> oh, goody. See? Things are looking up already here on the Bradcast. And no, now seriously though, I know that doesn't sound much brighter, but in comparison, of course, to all of this, and and here's the key part: the fact that some uh key folks are now stepping up and taking some key actions in response to our stolen and packed US Supreme Court. Actually, this next segment is somewhat brighter, at least as I see it anyway. Now, Even if it is brighter, don't worry. Desi will be back later with the Green News Report. Yep. So you won't get too happy. (laughs) All of that is straight ahead on the Bradcast, uh, which is always nothing but rainbows and kittens. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial or at least wipe it off with some disinfectant before you do.
2: What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: In the of ah, so welcome back in love, to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Better late than never indeed. Finally, finally, a top Democrat is speaking out loudly and proudly and clearly and frankly accurately about the state of the Republicans' stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court and what must be done about it. Whether that's possible right now or not, well, that's another question. But what must eventually be done one way or another in response, in hopes of, frankly, to to saving our republic? This month, a majority of justices on the United States Supreme Court signaled their willingness to gut One of the court's most important decisions over the past century threatening to eliminate Roe v. Wade and a person's right to choose, writes Senator Elizabeth Warren at the Boston Globe. This is not the first time this extremist court has threatened or outright dismantled fundamental rights in this country. For years, the Supreme Court's conservative majority, my my only quibble, by the way, with with uh, Warren's piece here is her referring to them as conservative. But I will let that slide thanks to everything else here. So uh, for years, the Supreme Court's conservative majority recently supercharged to six to three has issued decision after decision that veers away from the uh, from both basic principles of law and widely held public opinion. With each move, the court shows why it's important to restore America's faith in an independent judiciary committed to the rule of law. To do that, I believe it's time for Congress to yet again use its constitutional authority to expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court Elizabeth Warren writes, I don't come to this conclusion lightly or because I disagree with a particular decision. I come to this conclusion because I believe the current court threatens the democratic foundations of our nation. And of course, she is right. Over the past few years, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell hijacked America's Supreme Court. First in 2016, he engineered the theft of one of of one seat breaking from longstanding precedent by denying even a hearing to President Obama's highly qualified nominee. And four years later, he reached new heights of hypocrisy when he reversed direction, breaking his own so-called rule, barring votes on justices in an election year to ram through the confirmation of Justice Amy Coney Barrett only days before President Biden's election. Just eight days, by the way, as I recall, before Election Day, eight days, incredibly enough, after he had spent a year saying how it was just too close to a presidential election to consider adding a new Supreme Court to the uh, Supreme Court justice. Uh, that, you know, we must wait to decide, find out what the American people say in the upcoming presidential election a year from now. But then when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, oh, let's get her on the court. Let's get her replacement on the court eight days before Election Day. People had already been in the process of voting. Elizabeth Warren goes on to write this Republican court packing has undermined the legitimacy of every action the court takes. But rather than trying to restore Americans' confidence in an independent judiciary, this court leans into extremism and partisanship. This radical court has reversed century-old campaign finance restrictions, opening the floodgates for corporations to spend unlimited sums of money to buy our elections. It has reversed well-settled law that once required employers to permit union organizers to meet with workers. It has trampled on the Constitution's guarantee of equal protection by upholding a racist Muslim ban. It has twisted the law to deny Americans their right to a day in court despite the clear intent of Congress. And it has gutted one of the most important civil rights laws of our time, the Voting Rights Act, not once but twice. Without reform, she writes, the court's six to three supermajority will continue to threaten basic liberties for decades to come. In this term alone, the Supreme Court is considering whether to nullify the right to an abortion in America, whether to bar states and cities from regulating guns on our streets and whether to eviscerate the federal government's abilities to fight climate change. The fact that the Supreme Court is even considering questions to upend decades of settled law jeopardizes the fundamental principle of the rule of law. But conservative justices recent decisions and their apparent appetite to overturn decades of precedent underscore one important truth. This court's lawlessness is a powerful threat to our democracy and our country. This is a fantastic op-ed. I mean, and it sounds like it could be something that I wrote. And people who listen to the broadcast may think, well, that doesn't sound that unusual. I hear Brad saying that stuff every day. (laughs) And it's true. I hear me saying that every day as well. But to hear it from a U.S. senator and to see it published in the Boston Globe, I think is very important. She goes on to write, when a court consistently shows that it is no longer bound by the rule of law, Congress must exercise its constitutional authority to fix that court. Article three, section one of the Constitution gives Congress the authority to change the size of the Supreme Court. Congress has used that authority seven times before. To restore balance and integrity to a broken institution, Congress must expand the Supreme Court by four or more seats. Some oppose the idea of court expansion, she writes. They have argued that expansion is court packing, that it would start a never ending cycle of adding justices to the bench and that it would undermine the court's integrity. They are wrong, she says, and their concerns do not reflect the gravity of the Republican hijacking of the Supreme Court. First, it was McConnell, along with Donald Trump, who used two stolen seats to pack the court. And I'm glad she makes this point because, you know, they love to talk about this, not just on Fox News, but in the uh, real media, in the non-wingnut media. They love to refer refer to this idea as court packing, adding four uh, justices would be packing the courts. No, it is unpacking the courts. Yeah, McConnell
2: already did that. Already packed it. Twice. Yes.
1: She says the same people who reduced the size of the court for over a year. Solely for their own partisan gain and then turned around and jammed through another nominee days before losing the presidency, cannot complain about a clearly constitutional proposal to fix the mess that they made. I can't believe that it has taken a a year, you know, to to read something like this from a a senator like Warren. Second, she writes, adding seats to the Supreme Court may be one of the few ways to de-escalate the arms race around the court if we stand by while the highest court in our land bows to special interests and destroys the long acknowledged rights of individuals we reward those who broke the rules in the first place encouraging bad actors to further corrupt the court without any consequences and she is right again if you don't stand up and take action if you don't push back yes i know it'll it'll be politically uh, fraught politically dangerous of course, everyone in the media and again, the real media, everyone in the non wingnut media will, of course, come. I, I'm sure Chuck Todd is just salivating to have Elizabeth <laughs> Warren on this Sunday. Why is it? Are you why are you calling to pack the court? Won't that just lead to an endless round of court packing? Finally, between its ethical failings, its stolen seats, she writes, and its radical right wing opinions on abortion, voting dark money, unions, corporate power, and more, this Supreme Court has hit record lows in the eyes of the public. I think the last uh, polling that I saw had the Supreme Court uh, approval rating somewhere in the mid-30s or so. Rebalancing the court is a necessary step, she says, to restore its credibility as an independent institution, one that works for the American people and not just for the wealthy and the powerful. This extremist court, she says, has shown that it is not interested in advancing the equal administration of justice. It's time to rebalance the Supreme Court to create one that is. And again, that uh, could be the rant of a, you know, a loose cannon blogger and radio show host like yours truly. And I know that every time I, uh, I speak with someone uh, in the legal profession, as we do quite a bit on this show, and I refer to the U.S. Supreme Court, I always tend to call them the stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court and sometimes I imagine some of those attorneys are, are, are you know, bristling. Oh, no, I've been on a show where the host called it a stolen and packed Supreme Court. <laughs> well, hey, feel better, lawyers. Uh, a U.S. senator just has done exactly the same thing. And when I read it, I, you know, I felt like she was saying finally what we have been trying to say in as precise and unflinching terms for several years now. But, you know, she's a U.S. senator, so I'm very glad to hear her step up and call it out for what it is, an extremist court, a stolen court, a packed court. And I hope that other high profile officials will join her, even if at the moment. Such an obvious necessity, uh, at least to me, seems almost unthinkable given the state of Congress right now, especially since Democrats are being held up from even being able to pass basic legislation to help Americans with you know, stuff like the expansion of health care and education and to fight climate change or to ensure basic voting rights for all Americans. They're being held up on all of that by essentially just two single Democrats right now. So, by the way, when I hear people, you know, talking about Democrats aren't doing this, Democrats aren't doing that. It is two Democrats who aren't doing this and who aren't doing that. Anyway. All of that makes the idea of of expanding the court as it should be to unpack it, to unsteal it seem almost unthinkable. But we can't get there unless people start talking about it, people other than me. And we start talking about it and talking about it loudly. Now, in the meantime, there are uh, other ways to push back against this renegade, not conservative at all, radical and extremist and Stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court majority. And there, too, I have been very happy to see some top progressive elected officials stepping up and hopefully taking action to push back. Uh, Late last week, after we had uh, stepped down for a day to get our booster shots, the uh, stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court came in with their opinion on the clearly, obviously unconstitutional six week abortion ban in Texas, allowing that law, that clearly unconstitutional law to continue for now, even as they are allowing the plaintiffs in that challenge to try and, and challenge the state's purposeful private vigilante enforcement scheme that was written specifically to evade judicial review of this obviously unconstitutional law in violation of the 50-year Roe v. Wade settled law precedent. They were, in fact, given the middle finger to the courts and to the, even to the U.S. Supreme Court in passing this law in Texas. So the response to that decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to allow that Texas uh, law to continue while it's uh, hashed out in in the lower courts, the response to that decision by our own governor out here in California, Gavin Newsom, his response made me very, very proud, frankly, as it sets an example for the kind of action that this moment in this country actually calls for. From the L.A. Times over the weekend, after U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to block a Texas state law that bans most abortions there based on the premise that the law evades judicial review because it's left up to the citizens, not public officials to enforce it. Governor Gavin Newsom said he will push for a new California law that deters the manufacture and sale of assault rifles in the state. Which is great, which is perfect, which is a fantastic idea that should be passed by the legislature, frankly, tomorrow and signed the next day, if not the next hour by the governor. And I am not kidding. Model it exactly on what they have done in Texas. In a statement Saturday night, the governor said he was outraged by the court's failure in a decision Friday to enforce longstanding constitutional protections for abortion rights in allowing Texas's uh, SBA to continue in force as it's being adjudicated in the lower courts um, as big government, big not conservative government in Texas inserts itself right in between a woman and her doctor, which is why we don't call them conservative anyway. By not striking down uh, the Texas anti-abortion law, which relies on private citizens for enforcement, private citizens who may now sue anyone who they believe has helped a woman to get an uh, an abortion in any way after the state's six weeks ban, Newsom argued that the court has endorsed states' ability to create similar—I would call them extrajudicial, but I guess not anymore— To create similar legal mechanisms to safeguard state laws from federal court review, even apparently if those laws might blatantly violate established constitutional rights. Good work, Supreme Court. In Newsom's statement on Saturday, the governor referred to a recent federal court decision that overturned the state's uh, California ban on assault rifles, in which the judge compared the weapons to a Swiss Army knife.
2: (laughs) Right. I forgot about that.
1: So here's uh, Governor Newsom's brief to the point statement in full, which makes me very proud. He said, I am outraged by yesterday's U.S. Supreme Court decision allowing Texas's ban on most abortion services to remain in place and largely endorsing Texas's scheme to insulate its law from a fundamental from the fundamental protections of Roe v. Wade. But. If states can now shield their laws from review by the federal courts that compare assault weapons to Swiss army knives, then California will use that authority to protect people's lives, where Texas used it to put women in harm's way. Gavin Newsom Notes I have directed my staff to work with the legislature and the attorney general on a bill that would create a right of action allowing private citizens to seek injunctive relief and statutory damages of at least ten thousand dollars per violation plus costs and attorney's fees against anyone who manufactures, distributes, or sells an assault weapon or a ghost gun kit or parts in the state of California. If the most efficient way, To keep these devastating weapons off our streets is to add the threat of private lawsuits. We should do just that. Boom. Nailed it. That's exactly what I have been calling for uh, for California to do ever since this radical Texas idiocy. And frankly, thumb in the eye of. Both the uh, federal judiciary and the US Constitution itself, ever since it made its way, uh, f- first made its way to the Supreme Court back in uh, September, I believe it was, when it was not rejected outright immediately by all nine justices. If that's how those folks want to play, if that's how they want to allow constitutional rights to be taken away from Americans, it is appalling. It is against pretty much everything I think this country stands for over the past 250 years. But if that's how they want to play, if that's how they want to watch constitutional rights be taken away, well, then two can play at that game. And frankly, they should. And frankly, they must play that game. I mean, I really don't think that, you know, these folks on the court thought this one through. Even though in his own minority response... Chief Justice John Roberts actually warned of exactly this. In his, dissent, uh, his dissenting opinion in the Texas case in September, John Roberts uh, warned his fellow justices that Texas's attempt to get around prior prohibitions against abortion bans by allowing private citizens to enforce the law could provide a model for others to create comparable laws in different areas. Well, yes, he sure did, didn't he? He told them, they knew about it. They didn't care. Times writes, The Texas Heartbeat Act, also known as SB8, declares that it is illegal to perform an abortion after about six weeks of pregna- pregnancy, but gives the state no direct role in enforcing that ban. Instead, it authorizes private lawsuits in state courts against doctors or clinic owners who violate its provisions, or now famously, even Uber drivers, who may unknowingly take a woman to... Uh, to receive such an abortion after six weeks when many women don't even know that they are yet pregnant. The new California anti-gun effort, which seems very real here, Newsom said he said it would function the exact same way. It sounds like he means this. California Assemblyman Mark Levine said California should be doing everything it can to prevent gun violence and applauded the governor's intervention. He said ever since the Supreme Court first declined to block the Texas law from taking effect back in September, constituents have approached him about California trying to do the same thing with guns. Said Levine, if the Supreme Court acknowledges that these type of laws are constitutional, California should exert every power necessary to protect human life. We need to have the premier leader in the state, the governor, leading on these very challenging issues. Well, now the governor is and he is now being followed in other states like New York, where the state district attorney there, Tish James, appeared on ABC's The View this week and was asked about exactly that.
0: Last week, uh, the Supreme Court... Refuse to block a Texas law that allows everyday citizens to sue abortion providers. Well, then California Governor uh, Newsom wants to take that law and flip it and uh, allow citizens in his state to sue assault weapon and ghost gun providers. Now, would you do something like this? Is it an effective legal strategy? In New York. The answer is yes. When I heard about that, I I said to my team, We need to follow his lead. And the reason why that is, is because gun manufacturers and gun distributors in this country are immunized. No liability whatsoever. They're the only industry that is protected in this country. And given the carnage and given the fact that this is the ninth anniversary of Sandy Hook, I am sick and tired of prayers and individuals whose hearts go out to all of those who have lost lives. Mm-hmm. We can do something about it. it. And what we need to do is hold these gun manufacturers and these gun distributors <laughs> liable Citizens
1: take action. Is that do do make that difference?
0: And so the issue is allowing private citizen, and is that a way to get around Mm -hmm. um, again this uh, immunization, the fact that they have been immunized, and the fact that we don't hold them liable? And so we are reviewing it. We are talking to California, and so this is a first. Yes, the Office of Attorney General Letitia James Mm -hmm. is looking at that model, and I congratulate Governor Newsom. Thank Mm -hmm. you.
1: Nice. Very good. Excellent. Yes. Yes, please, let's do it. I mean you know you, you, you don't win these these battles by you know writing uh, op-eds or ranting on the radio. you win by taking action by doing something and and not you know it's it's so nice to not be begging the governor of California, to not be begging the (laughs) Attorney General of New York to do these things, but they are actually leading, they are actually doing them, at least they say they are actually doing them.
2: Yeah, and you know, this is not the first time that Newsom has led on a very important rights issue. Remember, as mayor of San Francisco, he was the one that broke the seal on same-sex marriage. He was the one that was the first to officiate those marriages, and now it is legal across the
1: country. Oh yeah, and it, it it was incredible when he did. He said, well, I read the Constitution. I don't see anything in that Constitution that says that uh, a man can't marry a man, a woman can't marry a woman. So I'm going to start marrying people. And he did exactly that on the steps of the uh, city hall back when he was the mayor of uh, San Francisco. He took a lot of heat from it, uh, about it from Democrats, by yeah, the way, at it, the time. And it was a
2: bumpy road to get to the Supreme Court decision ruling that, yes, you same-sex marriage is a constitutional right. But
1: he led. Yes. He led and he did the right thing. He took... Action. But you know what? Let me say this. You know, as long as constitutional rights don't actually mean anything at all anymore, you know, as long as you uh, ban them, but let private individuals become the $10,000 bounty hunters to sue them, why not go further? I'm sure the Supreme Court certainly must have thought about this, right? You know, for example, I've noticed that a lot of people who wear red MAGA hats, well, they seem to be more inclined toward political violence than those who do not wear red MAGA hats. So maybe, you know, uh, we should do something about that. And Not to mention members of the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers. I know, yes, it seems like a violation of the First Amendment. First Amendment rights, you know, to make wearing MAGA hats unlawful or make membership and the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers to make that illegal, but that's only if state officials endorse it, does. <laughs> According to the US Supreme Court and the state of Texas, if private citizens want to sue to stop any particular behavior that the state legislatures don't like for any reason, apparently now they're welcome to do so. So how about making it a a suable civil violation to be a member of the Republican Party? How about that? Why not? There is apparently nothing in the Constitution to prevent that from happening, according to the U.S. Supreme Court right now. Why not? Is there anything in the Supreme Court's decision now, at least twice, to let this Texas anti-abortion law go forward that wouldn't apply to a private right to sue someone for being a Republican? Anything in there? No, there is not. Kiara Bridges, a professor at UC Berkeley School of Law, said that letting states write laws to avoid federal court review of people's rights was dangerous, a dangerous legal standard. Nevertheless, she said she believed Newsom's proposal ultimately could allow the court to correct its error in allowing private enforcement of Texas's abortion restrictions in conflict with longstanding constitutional protections on abortions. So, you know, perhaps if they're faced with this, maybe they will see their folly or maybe not. Bridges writes, no matter how California law is written, she believes that the court would strike down California's law. She says we have six justices, it's looking more like five these days, who like gun rights and who do not like abortion rights. They're willing to disregard some precedent while venerating other precedent. I have no doubt whatsoever that the Supreme Court will find some bizarre, disingenuous argument to distinguish gun rights rights from abortion rights, which may be true, but it only underscores how off the rails this court now is, which brings us back to Elizabeth Warren's op-ed. And maybe this is what needs to happen for people to realize how corrupted and disingenuous and hypocritical and political and partisan that this stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court has now become. And the fact that a professor of law at UC Berkeley would say that about the Supreme Court, that, oh, they'll find some bizarre, disingenuous argument, that should alone ring very loud alarm bells for this court as to the way that they are now being perceived. Not by loudmouth, crackpot, you know, progressive talk show hosts like me, but by actual distinguished legal experts and law professors who have so little confidence in the Republicans' gamed and stolen and packed Supreme Court You know that they are arguing that that court will simply make things up to allow one constitutional right defying law and block a constitutional right that they don't like while striking down an almost identical law. That would strike down what they consider to be a constitutional right that they do like. This is all very, very bad. But I applaud California's governor for not just talking about the issue with outraged statements, but actually taking action. Good for him. And I hope the state legislature joins him in that effort, ASAP, and I hope the, that New York State does the same thing. You don't fight fire with outraged op-eds. You fight fire with fire, and it's about time the Democrats start stepping up to do exactly that. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is next with her own fires to put out. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. You're
2: listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.
1: chit chat running (laughs) late let's get to it our latest green news report the scope and scale of this destruction is almost beyond belief something good has to happen out of this it just can't be all bad we've got to make it better
2: biden pledges hope and help for victims of deadly december tornado outbreak The 12 days of Christmas are getting warmer. U.S. businesses face mounting flood risks, new report warns. Plus,
0: this bill was about prioritizing people over profits and over properties.
2: New York becomes largest city in the U.S. to ban natural gas in new buildings. Really? Yes.
1: Cool. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent Green News, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So the question is, did they use weather weapons to cause the tornadoes? That's a legitimate question to ask. Yes, it's totally legitimate, Alex Jones. Keep asking, brother. This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the
0: sun. Gonna
1: okay, Desi Doyen, I almost hate to ask at this point, but... What do you got for us today? Well, unusually
2: warm December temperatures fueled another round of extremely weird extreme weather with a wind came in the Midwest and the Great Plains on Wednesday with wind gusts of more than 100 miles per hour right after last week's unprecedented December tornado outbreak. It's a good time to check your extreme weather preparations wherever you are. Windecane.com.
1: Really? Yes. Is that a real word, windicane? No. I didn't think so.
2: Meanwhile, President Joe Biden in Kentucky on Wednesday surveyed the extensive damage unleashed by that deadly December tornado outbreak last weekend. Biden offered praise for how the affected communities have come together and announced that the federal government will cover 100% of all of the costs of the first 30 days of emergency work as communities recover. I
1: promise you, you're going to heal we're going to recover, we're going to rebuild, you're going to be stronger than you were before. We're going to build back better than it was.
2: Biden also noted that so far, this year alone, extreme weather disasters have cost the U.S. over $99 billion in losses. Globally, the planet was hit with 41 weather disasters in 2021, costing more than a billion dollars each. 21's preliminary total of $41 billion weather disasters comes in second only to 2020, which had 50. Oh,
1: so... Things are getting better?
2: Unfortunately, a new study projects that these unusual winter tornadoes in the U.S. could get even stronger. Mm. The draft study from the University of Illinois examined the increasing intensity of tornadoes, not the frequency, projecting that unless governments act to reduce emissions that cause man-made global warming, in coming decades, winter tornadoes are likely to stay on the ground longer, with wider tracks and faster wind speeds, powering even more destruction.
1: You know what's also not a word, winter tornadoes. And yet... I guess now it is.
2: Currently, the lower 48 states are on track to have the warmest December on record. And winter is the fastest warming season for most of the U.S. A new study from Climate Central reports that temperature data from nearly 250 stations across the country show that the 12 days of Christmas, that's December 25th through January 5th, have warmed measurably since 1969 in every region.
1: Well, happy birthday, baby Jesus.
2: In other news, Axios reports on a groundbreaking new analysis focused on the rising impacts of flooding specifically on U.S. businesses. The nonprofit First Street Foundation found a surprisingly high vulnerability in cities that aren't usually associated with flooding, like Pittsburgh. Because of the increase in extreme rainfall events due to human caused global warming, the study projects that next year, U.S. businesses could collectively lose more than 3 million days of operation. And by 2050, businesses could lose 4 million days of operation due to flooding. The researchers warn that flooding closures could have major ripple effects across local economies. But some good news, Japanese automaker Toyota is finally joining the rest of the auto industry's shift to electric vehicles, <laughs> announcing this week that every car in its lineup will have an electric version by 2030.
1: Well, it's about time, isn't it, Toyota?
2: And finally, New York City this week became the nation's largest city to enact a ban on natural gas in newly constructed buildings to reduce carbon emissions and indoor air pollution. Nice. The ban will be phased in and includes some notable exceptions, like hospitals. It's a major step away from fossil fuels and is expected to influence wider markets.
1: Very nice. The biggest city. Has Los Angeles done that yet?
2: No, it has not.
1: Get with it, L.A., for much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today. Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Smartly done.
2: Yes, and a quick follow-up. The National Weather Service has now confirmed that Minnesota just had its first ever December tornado.
1: Oh, brother. Not a windicane, but an actual tornado. Yeah. Thanks much. All right. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by folks like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and me and I stay on your public airwaves drop me email if you like I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters I am the Brad Blog see you there until we see you here next time I'm Brad Friedman good luck world
2: oh,